many here have been praying prayers for a long time and still are waiting for an answer? I, I would think everybody should raise their hand, just like everybody shouldn't have their hand up when you ask if you don't love kids. But <clears throat> You know, there is a tension to unanswered prayer. And uh, we want to talk about that this morning. We're in uh, the book of Romans, as all of you know. Uh, we've been journeying through Romans. And uh, I want to look at two verses this morning out of chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And kind of pulls back the veil on Paul's heart and his prayer life. It says, God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you. Now, he's writing to the Romans. Uh, there's probably five house churches, at least in Rome, that he's writing to. And if we ever get to the end of Romans, maybe 20, 25, or whenever we get there. In Romans 16, uh, you can kind of have a list of a number of people that he's writing to. And so he says, I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. Paul is a praying man, as all of us should be, a praying man, a praying woman. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, it's interesting that little phrase, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. Now, he's writing this in about, uh, they figure he wrote from Corinth on the, near the end of his third missionary journey in 57 A.D. And we know from the book of Acts uh, where it talks about Paul in the early part of his third missionary journey when he's two years in Ephesus. At the end of that time in Ephesus, in Acts 19.21, it says, and after this happened, there was a burning of magic arts books. Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia, which is where Thessalonica and Corinth and Athens and all those uh, places are, and says, and after I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. So we know it's been in Paul's heart for some time to go to Rome, to visit the saints in Rome. And so when he writes to them, he's talking about this, this burden in prayer he's carrying to one day see them face to face and minister to them. And, and uh, uh, in the next uh, passage of Scripture, and I'm not robbing anything from the next 20 weeks of preaching on these verses, but uh, it says, he says, I'm longing to see you in these verses. He says, I'm planning, I've planned many times to come to you, but I've prevented from doing so until now. And so, how many of you know, uh, I've experienced this, when you start to pray, it seems like things get worse rather than get better. You know, oftentimes, it works that way. You know, there's all kinds of things, factors involved in that, powerful resistance in the Spirit. There's warfare. There are other things that are going on that we're going to look at today. And so Paul is, you know, he's just saying, listen, this has been, a, I've been praying about this, and this has been a battle. And then at the end it says, you know, he says, I've, I've planned many times to come to you, and I've been prevented from coming. And that's why I, he, and he's just talking about his love for them, and that's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel with you. So he really wants to come. And we know from the book of Acts that, it was a battle. He finally gets back to Jerusalem. He gets arrested. Uh, he almost loses his life. There's a plot to kill him. He's rescued, sent down from Jerusalem to Caesarea. There he ends up spending two years in prison. Uh, and in the meantime, Jesus appears to him. And Jesus said, listen, Paul, you are going to make it to Rome. And I want to just, I, I pray today that as I'm just ministering, that the Holy Spirit's here just to kind of break in on your life and just encourage you. 
God's going to answer that prayer you've been praying for a long time. Sometimes we need those little encouragements. We need those little kisses from God where he just says, I hear you. I got this. Trust me. It's going to happen. And then Paul finally gets on the boat, and then he's in a shipwreck, and he ends up on Malta. And, you know, it takes him six months to finally get to Rome, and winter's in Malta after the whole ship is destroyed, and God's with him and saves everybody on board. And so he finally arrives in Rome. They figure in uh, the the summer of 60 A.D. So this is, this is three years after he's writing to the Romans and been praying, and five years after we know that he's already been thinking about going. So I hope all of you can identify, as I can, with Paul, that sometimes it, it takes a while for prayers to be answered. And so I want to talk this morning about some things that have really been... Uh, helpful for me in in wrestling with this whole issue of unanswered prayer. Now, how many of you have prayed for something very diligently and found out ultimately, irreconcilably, irrevocably, the answer is not going to come? Worse yet, and this is very painful, prayed for someone that God would heal them, and they weren't healed, and they went on to be with Jesus. That's happened too many times in my life. I just had a friend this last month, uh, Paul Ridgway, who uh, was a drive-time host on AM 980, the mission uh, radio station, from 4 to 6 every day. And Paul was diagnosed at the end of April with congestive heart failure that he needed to go into the hospital and have a triple bypass surgery and a valve replacement. And if you, you can still go online, I think, and listen to the last... And he had two weeks of radio programs leading up before he went into the hospital for a surgery, and he had many people on talking about eternity and healing. And his last program on the last Friday of April, he was so full of faith, and people were calling in and were praying for you, Paul, and it seemed like the whole Twin Cities was praying for this guy. Goes in for a surgery, has a heart attack right at the outset. His heart stops at the outset of his open-heart surgery. 16 hours of surgery, comes out, never really comes out into consciousness, dies about 10 days later after three heart attacks. And, you know, you just, you face something like that, and you just, I don't understand it. The whole Twin Cities is praying for this guy. This guy is loved by thousands of people. Everybody feels like they're his personal best friend. I mean, and what God, I don't get it. And he's handing out books in the hospital when he checks in, and he's witnessing. And I was was with him when we, we were partnering in a, Outreach to a bunch of atheists. And Paul's love for everybody to come to know Jesus. You think, God, why'd you take them home? And so we face those kind of things in our life, and, and we just don't understand it. And, you know, obviously, there are three answers to every prayer. You know, either yes, no, which we really face sometimes so painfully, and the one kind of we really hate, not yet. You know, we hate the waiting part of it. You know, the not yet part of it. And I, I was discouraged about prayer about six months ago, and I, I took my prayer journal, and I keep a prayer journal, and the major prayers I pray, I write on one side of the page the date and kind of summarize it in one sentence. And then when I get an answer, I write on the other side of the page the date and the answer. And I went through over the last year, just reviewed the last year of my journal, and I found that three-quarters of my prayers had really been answered to my satisfaction. I was just, I, it buoyed my faith to know God does answer prayer. But a quarter of them were either a not yet or a no. And you realize the tension in that. 
you realize, yes, God is a prayer-answering God, and you wonder sometimes how God just answers some prayer, just, whew, it's just smooth as silk, and everything is just, you just can't believe how wonderful everything was, even in the midst of a difficult thing. And other things, it's like you think God could answer that, and it just doesn't happen. And there's a mystery to all of it. I think we have to have to reckon with the mystery of God. We, we just don't understand God's ways. And so as I've thought a lot about this and wrestled with this, I've come to three, what I call three reasons to believe that an answer is coming. Three reasons to believe an answer is coming. And, you know, I go back to this frequently, and I remind myself of this, because acknowledging these things have really brought comfort to my soul, have encouraged me, have buoyed my faith. They're free fundamental truths that bring hope and comfort when you're wrestling with that answer. And I pray that they're a help for you this morning as I just share what God has kind of poured into me. The first one I call the fatherly nature of God. Now, we know that we have a loving Heavenly Father. And here's the thing. Our loving Heavenly Father wants what's best for us. As any parent, anyone who's a parent in this room and a grandparent, know that you want what's best for your children and your grandchildren. And so when they ask for things that you know is not going to be good for them, what do you do? You withhold it. You don't give it to them. But you want to give them what's best. And sometimes you, tra- you, you sort of substitute what's best for what they're asking for. So all of us want what's good, what's, what's best for our grand. Of course, grandchildren, grandparents sometimes don't really give their grandchildren what's best for them, but yeah, parents, parents do. So, but, but, and so this truth is coupled many times in the, in the teaching ministry and in the, in the life of Jesus in the New Testament with this truth about the fatherly nature of God and prayer. They go together. In fact, when Jesus was asked by his disciples Uh, teach us to pray. They were so impressed with his prayer life. What did he say? This then is how you should pray, our Father who art in heaven. He relates them immediately to the Father. He's, He's saying, listen, if you want to understand anything about prayer and about answered prayer and unanswered prayer, put it in the framework that you have a heavenly Father who wants what's best for you. Now, this is in, this is in, uh, uh, Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In, in chapter 7, he gives a parable and a teaching about ask, seek, and knock. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And he says, if you as a heavenly parent give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give what? Good gifts to you. Now, he says, you know, if you ask for a bread, he's not going to give you a stone. If you ask for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. Now, sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes when you ask for bread, it seems like you got a stone. Anybody ever feel that way? Sometimes when you ask for a fish, it seems like you got this snake, this boa constrictor that's trying to choke the life out of you. And you think, God, where are you? Where's the answer to my prayers? Because you're holding this snake and you said, I asked for a fish. God, how can you give me a snake? And God gives us this teaching of Jesus to put us in a framework and an understanding that we do have a Heavenly Father who wants what's best for us. And here's the key. If we hold on in faith long enough to that truth, that snake will eventually turn to a fish. That stone will eventually turn to bread. 
And God wants to encourage us with the fact that He is a loving Heavenly Father who gives good gifts. Back in the 50s, there was a great show called Father Knows Best. How many remember Father Knows Best? Yeah, you're all my age or young or just that. Yeah. It was Robert Young, Eleanor Donahue, uh, uh, Jane Wyatt. Eleanor, she, he, that, was his, that was his wife. But it's the truth. Father Knows Best. I love the program because Dad always had the wisdom. When we were, uh, back in 1994, we started Bridgewood, and right away we began to look for land. We wanted a permanent home. We were meeting in a uh, middle school down in Shoreview, and we were looking in that area originally, and then we kind of gravitated north, and for three years we looked for land, and you know, it was one of those deals where, you know, I'm a believing, faith-filled pastor, and I'm, I had a pastor friend of mine, and one day we went around the most of Anoka County, and we were praying and looking for land and asking Jesus, and we found a couple of really nice prime pieces of land there on County Road J, and we anointed both pieces of property. There were vacant lots there, and we claimed them for the Lord. And, and uh, in fact, I drove by there recently. There are two churches on those two sites. Where they didn't, it wasn't Bridgewood, but, <laughs> but he answered that prayer. Praise God. So in 97... After three years of looking, you know, we felt like we, uh, a, a member of the congregation, Tanda Eidsvold, her dad had a prime piece of land just off of the 95th Avenue exit, the National Sports Center exit just down south of here, up 35, and it was a great piece of land, and he was going to give it to us for a song. And so we went to this planning and zoning, and they said we, we, they refused us a zoning variance to buy that land. We went to the city council. They said, no, we will not give you approval, and basically they slammed the door to us buying that piece of land. And we never understood it, but after the fact, we found out a couple years later that they had their eyes on it, the city, to have an industrial park there. So our whole, you know, it's like we were rejoicing. It's like we'd been asking the Father for bread. We felt like we got bread, and suddenly that bread turned to stone. Suddenly our hopes were just dashed, and I, I was just, I, I just couldn't believe it because I thought God had answered our prayer after three years. And, uh, and so that was the summer that the movie, The Titanic, came out. That's hard to believe. It was 20 years ago, doesn't it? And The Titanic, you know, there, uh, just imagine what it would have been like if you were really excited about that sailing of that greatest ship in the world and that cruise, and then you missed the boat. You your heart would have been dashed. But a couple of days later, you would have been, thank God I missed the ball, you know. It would have t- everything would have changed around real fast. Well, anyway, I preached a sermon that Sunday after we lost the land, and it was called, it, I call it, Blessed is He Who Misses the Boat. And we just said, God, we thank you, we missed the boat. Whatever, you know, whatever happened, uh, Father, you're a good Father, you want what's best for us, and obviously that was not the best you had in mind for us. And so we just praised God that, that Sunday service. I went home that afternoon. I got a telephone call from a real estate agent in our congregation. He said, guess what, Tom? I found the perfect piece of land for us just this afternoon. It's 20 acres just off of Lexington, just north out of the 35W exit. Long story short, within 48 hours, we had signed the paper for $129,000 to buy this 20 acres of land. It was God's best for Bridget Community Church. And so here's the truth of the matter again. It's God's fatherly nature. He wants what's best for us, and he knew that property wasn't what's best. And you know, here's even the, the, the wonderful thing about it. When we went to the city of Blaine 
to get approval, be, you know, for building a church here. They just, they just rolled out the red carpet for us. They felt so guilty about turning us down on the other property <laughs> that we had favor. It was the first church that had been built in Blaine in I don't know how many years, 10 or 15 years. And from that day on, the mayor was our best friend. City councilmen were really friendly to us. Everybody loved us. And so it was just neat to see how God works behind the scenes. And so, you know, as you think about this, you know, there, there the property was. And uh, there's the finished product. So just as you think about it, can you think of a prayer you prayed that initially went unanswered and felt like God gave you a stone, but later, but later you realized that uh, it turned to be bread. Just think about that. You know, there's a blessing. There's a blessing in unanswered prayer. I talked to a, a man after the service, first service, and he was just sharing, you know, just reflecting in how a terrible thing that happened in his life turned out to be a blessing. I always think of the Garth Brooks song uh, back in the 90s unanswered prayer. You know, it's, he's singing about, he returns to a hometown football game with his wife and 10 or 15 years after he's graduated, and he runs into his old flame who he had just prayed and asked God and begged God that he could marry her, and now he sees her, and he's thankful he's with the woman he's with. And Some things have changed, a little bit of things have changed there, but... Uh, and, and so he says, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers, the song goes. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs that just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered. Sing together. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayer. And that's true. It's true. The unanswered prayers in your life may be, just may be, a gift because God has something better in mind for you. I want to say it again. God has something better in mind for you. You know, every prayer really has three phases. And you've got the ask, you've got the answer, and then that dip between is called the wait. And so you could say that the ask really is the request and the answer is God's best. And that middle part, that test, is what separates us, the request from God's best. And that's often the difficult time. And it makes us wonder, what am I not doing right? God, what are you doing in this situation? And so it really brings us kind of to the second thing. When you finally get an answer, you can rejoice. But it brings us to the second point. What do you do while you're waiting? What should you do? And I, I just keep it simple. I, I think obviously we keep praying because Jesus said you ought always to pray and not to faint. Keep praying. Never give up. That widow and the unjust judge, never give up. Secondly, keep praising God. Keep thanking God because God is faithful. And it says in Psalms, praise waits for you, O God. Praise brings the presence of God brings God's perspective. And when you have God's perspective on a situation, then you are filled more with faith that he's going to keep his promise. 
And then lastly, you want to keep pressing on to know Jesus. The ultimate purpose of prayer really is to transform us to be more like Jesus, be more Christ-like. That's really the purpose of prayer, to make us more like Him. And so, uh, great promise, it says, Since the world began, ear is not heard, eye is not seen, a God like you who works for those who wait for Him. Whatever prayer you've prayed, God is working behind the scenes to bring an answer to that prayer. The second thing that convinces me that an answer is coming is what I call the seed nature of prayer. And prayers are like seeds sown into the ground. There's a germination time that must be fulfilled before the answer springs forth. Now, I'm not a gardener. Uh, I have a blue thumb, probably more than a green thumb. But, uh, but what I understand is that soil temperature that moisture, quality of the soil, all those are the issues that really determine the germination time that a seed sends forth down its roots and sends up its sprouts. And a seed uh, begins to grow and bear fruit. And God's timing is like germination timing. There's a timing to God's answer to our prayers and to the fulfillment of His promises. You know, it says in Isaiah 7, 14, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, that's an amazing promise, and people of that day could have claimed that promise, prayed for that to come to pass. But, you know, it took 700 years before, as Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman. You know, there's a fullness of time to our prayers. Another translation of that word is a set time. There's a set time for the answer to the prayers that you're praying. In God's scheme of things, in God's purposes, there's a set time. And uh, every prayer has a fullness of time. It's like my 10-year-old son, I remember him asking me if he could drive the car, if he could have the keys to the car. He said, no way are you going to get the keys. There will be a day and a time that will come when you're 30 years old, and I will give you the keys to the car, you know, there's a fullness of time, there's a set time, but it's not now. And that's the way it is with God. You know, God has a set time when He releases the answers for the prayers that we're praying. And I believe every prayer has a, has a germination time to it. I really do. And understanding that, I think, encourages us in our faith I want to show you a picture of two, myself, uh, Coach Roy Grick from the University of Minnesota, and my college roommate, Richard Simonson, who also ran track with me. This was at the, 19, the 2008 40-year reunion of us winning the Big Ten Championship. The picture was taken. But these are two people in my life who I rode on the floor of this auditorium back in 2001 when we built this building. They were on my top ten list that they would come to know Jesus personally. Richard is is an atheist. He was an atheist when I first met him, and he's still an atheist. I've been praying for him for 46 years. Coach Griak was a non-Christian as well. And when he was 80 years old, that was 12 years ago, he approached me and he said, Tom, I want you to do my funeral for me when I die. And I, I cultivated a relationship with over there. He was like a father figure to me. And I shared my faith frequently with him, witnessed to him, and he was always resistant to the gospel. I prayed so earnestly for him. 
And I told him, I said, Coach, I, you know, I'm honored that you'd ask me to do your funeral, but it's the last thing I want to do before you come to know Jesus personally. And he always had excuses. And the years rolled by, and he was 91 back in 2014, back in November of 2014. I'd stopped in the office. He was still working at the University of Minnesota, still in an office, track office there. Amazing guy. Loved people, loved his athletes, well-loved in the community. And he said, Tom, I stopped, and he was just heartbroken, and he, he had just buried his brother two days earlier. And I knew his brother, too. And, and, but, you know, God used that to soften his heart. And, again, I just shared with him the gospel, and he closed the door to his office. And one thing I always said to him, you know, I, I love the promise out of John 11 where uh, Jesus is talking to Martha at the graveside of Lazarus, and, and he says, uh, if you believe in me, you know, I am the resurrection life. Whoever believes in me will live and will never die, and he who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he says to Martha, do you believe this? And I just shared that verse with Coach. I said, Coach, do you believe? Can you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Can you believe that he's the resurrection life, that he has eternal life for you? And he took my hand, and he began to cry, and he said, Tom, I believe. And then led him in a prayer, and he asked Jesus into his heart, and his whole countenance changed. And, you know, it's like, this is 45 years of praying for this guy. 45 years. You just thank God. You know, you thank God for his faithfulness. A couple months later, he fell. He had a fall, ended up in a nursing home, never really recovered. Uh, they moved him home. I, two days before he passed away in July of 2015, I was with him, and, and he took my hands, and he said, Tom, thank you for showing me the way. And he was telling me how every night he prayed, spent time praying every night he was praying for people. Well, the dreaded day came when I had to do his funeral. And, uh, but, you know, I could do it with such joy in my heart because I knew where he was. And God just set it up because there were over 1,000 people at his funeral because he was so well-known. A lot of my old track buddies from years back and University of Minnesota, all the kind of athletic department people were there and news media. And I was able to do the service for him and share his testimony of how he accepted Jesus and came to know Jesus. And it was an amazing, just amazing, and I had so much amazing response from people in terms of their relationship with God. And so, you know, God has a fullness of time. There's a fullness of time in people's lives. I'm still playing for, praying for Richard, my buddy Richard. Just changed email with him just this last week. He read the scripture at the funeral, the fa- because he was a family friend too. And I said, Richard, you're going to get struck dead in the pulpit. <laughs> you better watch it, boy. We laugh about that. Well, so I want to just ask you, just as we move to the final point here, think of an unanswered prayer that you prayed for a long time and God finally answered. I want you to remind yourself. Like for me, that story about Roy Grieck, Boys, my faith, and I realize, God, you are a prayer answering God, even though it takes years. You know, Noah waited 100 years till the flood finally came. Abraham waited 25 years for that son. Noah, uh, Moses waited 40 years in the backside of the wilderness for that promise to come true for him. I mean, there are great waiters in the Bible. And as you think about an answer to prayer that finally came for you, I pray that that will be an encouragement to you to keep praying, to keep believing, and not to give up. 
And the last thing that's always encouraged me and has been a big encouragement to is, is the importance of keeping an eternal perspective. We need to reckon this life is not all there is. We need to reckon that death is not the cutoff per- period for an answered prayer. I want to say that again. Your death is not a cutoff period for a prayer that you prayed. And this is proven biblically. One of the great stories in the Bible is Moses. You know, Moses wanted to see the promised land. He wanted to go into the promised land. And God told him, you can't go into the promised land because remember, he was told to speak to the rock and he struck it twice instead. You think, that's not fair, God. Such one transgression and you're not going to let this mighty, faithful man of God, friend of God, go into the promised land. And so Moses is up on the mountain and God's ready to take him to glory And he's praying, and he said, I pleaded with the Lord, let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, the fine hill country of Lebanon. And God says to him, that's enough. Don't speak to me anymore about this matter. And God sort of closes the chapter. He says, I'm not going to answer that prayer. Moses dies. But you know, as you think about it, I've been thinking, I've thought about this a lot. God did answer Moses' prayer 1,400 years later because his feet did touch into the promised land when he appeared with Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, they're talking to Jesus. And Peter, James, and John were there to witness it. And so God answered that prayer. And we know in Revelation that the saints under the altar, the martyrs, are still praying that God would vindicate them. There's still prayer, unanswered prayer in heaven. God says, just wait a little bit. The time's going to come when I'm going to answer that prayer. And so there's eternal perspective that God really wants us to have. I'll close with this story. This is a book uh, written by the president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, Matthew Harrison. It's called At Home in the House of My Fathers. Now, I'm sharing this story because I'm, I want to share about a man uh, that, and a prayer that he prayed that caused, had an effect to bring me to know Jesus personally. In this book... Uh, Matthew Harrison takes the first five presidents of Missouri Synod, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, who were all German-speaking presidents beginning in the middle of the 1800s up to 1935. The last president of Missouri Synod was Frederick Fultonauer. Frederick Fultonauer. And at his uh, last national convention, uh, his, he gave the sermon... And he preached a sermon, and Matthew Harrison took the sermons of all these five presidents and translated the German sermons to English. And so each, the book is full of about 15 to 20 sermons of each of these presidents. And the last sermon in the book, the last one preached, was by Frederick Fultonauer, the last president, and he said the, the, the message was, Come Holy Ghost. Come Holy Ghost. And he took this hymn, and this and made it his prayer. These, there is a prayer that we must diligently pray, he says, if we would retain the fullness of God. And this is the prayer he prays for the church, for Missouri Synod. Come, Holy Ghost, God and Lord, be all thy graces now outpoured on each believer's mind and heart, thy fervent love to them impart. Wow. That's a mighty prayer. Now, his son and all of his sons became German pastors, Frederick's sons, 
and all of their, his grandsons became uh, Lutheran, Synod, Missouri, uh, uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod pastors. And his grandson, one of his grandsons, name is Don Fultonauer. And Don Fultonauer moved to Blaine in 1961 and started a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod on University Avenue called Way of the Cross Lutheran Church. And in early 1964, he began to cry out to God for a greater fullness in his walk with Jesus. And he was praying and seeking God and studying the Word of God, and he wanted to encounter more release of the power of the Holy Spirit in his life and ministry. David Wilkerson, how many have heard of David Wilkerson? David Wilkerson came to town. He, he was spoken out of the old Minneapolis Auditorium. Don Fultonauer went down there with a, he brought a whole bunch of youth from the church down there, and David Wilkerson had an altar call, and being the godly shepherd and protector of the flock that Don was, all his youth went down there, so Don figured he better go down and make sure the youth aren't getting something that's not good for them. So he goes down front, and David Wilkerson comes off the platform, walks right through the crowd, and comes right over to Don Fultonauer and lays his hand on him and starts prophesying over him. And says, I've heard the cry of your heart, my son, that you want a release of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to visit you and your congregation, and I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit upon you. That was the prophecy. Don Fountainer is gathered with a small group of people, New Year, Christmas Eve, 1964, the Holy Spirit falls on them. Speaking in tongues, prophesying, going wild for Jesus. Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, hear the prayer, they weren't happy about it. It, you know, it, it's, really, it's really a tragedy in a lot of ways. And he ended up, because his name was synonymous with Missouri Synod, his grandfather, having been the president, all his uncles, his brothers are pastors, he went through a national, it was national news, and five years through Missouri Synod church courts, and in 1969, he was defrocked by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. They foreclosed the mortgage on the church building. He took his small band of believers down the road to the University Avenue Elementary School, and that was the beginning of Way of the Cross Church without Lutheran after it. Well, Don led a, a couple years later, Don led a man to the Lord, and that man started a Bible study, and who was, guess who was in his Bible study? My wife and I were in that Bible study. And we accepted Jesus, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit in that Bible study. So it just shows you prayers that have been prayed by saints who have gone before still are in line to be answered. So if you're praying for people, you just never know what God's going to do in the midst of all of it. Your prayers do make a difference. And so can get the last slide up there. Maybe you can put the last slide up there, Mark. So as I close, I just want to encourage you uh, with those three things that I just shared with you. I mean, obviously, number one, we do have a Heavenly Father who wants what's best for us. And so He understands your heart. He knows the cry and, and the things that you're seeking Him about, and He's going to give you what's best for you. Secondly, you know, there is a seed nature of prayer. There's a germination time to our prayers. And we need to be encouraged that maybe the time, the fullness of time hasn't come yet for our prayers. And in the midst of all of it, there is an eternal perspective as well that God wants us to always keep on prayer. We don't know what he's doing behind the scenes. I don't know why Paul Ridgway went to be with Jesus. But I know there's going to be a day come for me and for every one of us here that we're going to gain a perspective on our prayers that we never would have dreamed of when we see Jesus face to face. And so, Lord, I just thank you for 
the encouragement you want to bring to each one here today with regard to our prayer life, our relationship with you. And, and Father, as we reflect on your faithfulness in our life through so many prayers that, Lord, we thought were never going to be answered and were, or, Lord, prayers that we prayed and have yet to be answered. Lord, we, we take encouragement this morning, and we pray, God, that you'd increase our faith, increase our determination to keep praying, keep praising, and keep pressing on to know you. Love to those of